0: Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. This netcast is part of a series from the Fall 2009 Faith and Globalization Seminar. For more on the initiative, visit faithandglobalization.yale.edu.
1: David, last time we were talking about um, one of Luke's parables, the parable of the banquet. Um, And now we're still in that uh, grand section of the the gospel where Jesus is moving on to Jerusalem. And uh, in chapter 15, he tells more parables. Uh, fifteen and sixteen really are uh, rich with parabolic stuff, and uh, Chapter fifteen seems to uh, focus on the theme of lost and found it does. right it does uh, and it gives us at the end the parable of the uh, the prodigal son, yeah. so called. Uh, tell us a little bit about that theme and about how you read the uh, that that really striking parable
2: great uh, I think Luke sets up the theme by giving us the three parables in a row, whether Jesus told them in this order. At the same time, we'll never know, but with Luke, uh, the whole thing begins with Pharisees grumbling about the fact that Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, and Jesus' response to them, something we've seen before, is not simply to turn around and say, you silly people, here's what I'm doing, it's to tell three stories. And In each of the three stories, something very precious is lost and is found again, and the person who finds it rejoices, and I think what, what Jesus is, in Luke's context, I think what Jesus is telling the scribes and Pharisees, is that they too ought to join in God's joy at the fact that those who have apparently been excluded from God's family are now welcomed into God's family as the sheep is found, as the coin is found, as the son is found, Uh, S-O-N is found. Having said that, it seems to me that one reason people love the story of the prodigal son um, is that it's not just the story of the prodigal son. It's the story of three major players, the father and two sons, And that the power of the story is that its meaning depends kind of on where you put yourself in that story. Um, And then one can put themselves in in different places with great power. This came home to me years ago in in my first years of being a pastor, when I preached, as I frequently did, on the first two-thirds of the story, where the son comes home, and the father welcomes him, and everybody rejoices, and then basically sat down and said, amen and uh, rejoiced in the fact that all those of us who were sinners, I'm a Baptist, you know, sinners welcomed home, much rejoicing in heaven, banquet time. And uh, one of the pillars of the church, appropriately, one of the pillars of the church said to me, you know, the, the elder son always gets short shrift. He said, I have always been an elder son. I never wandered far from home theologically, physically, morally. I am a pillar of this church. I give regularly. For my sake, and maybe for God's sake, talk about the older brother too. And ever since I've tried to pay attention to the three, and there are just a few things that strike me about the story, this story, and then I'd love to hear a response to it. It is a rich story, and, and like rich stories, it has different meanings. And some of the things that strike me, one you already talked about, it's open-ended. We have no idea whether the, whether the elder brother ever comes in. For all eternity, he's out there in the fields trying to make up his mind. That's a powerful storytelling technique. But I think one reason we love this story is we don't know how it's resolved and Jesus doesn't tell us what we're supposed to do about it. Um, So it's not just an example story. It's something richer than that. Uh, I love the fact that the father goes out twice, not just once. That's what my pillar of the church friend was telling me, that, that the father gets off the porch once and welcomes the son. But he also goes out to seek the lost found one. I mean, interestingly, in some ways, the one who's most lost is the one who thinks he's found. And the father goes out to tell him that, too. Uh, I think it's very powerful. And, and when, the, when the elder brother says, this, your son, has come back, and the father says, your brother. This isn't just my son, fella. This is your brother. It's, a, it's, it's just a, a story whose power lingers with us. And lots of people, have, many people have thought that if there's a parable that kind of tells the gospel story, this is that story, that, that Jesus Christ is God's running down the road to welcome us home. Uh,
1: those are marvelous insights, and I agree with everything you've, you, you've said. I, let me just add uh, a couple of other little uh, perspectives on sure. it. Sure. Um, I think we have a tendency to um, uh, allegorize the uh, the story of the uh, the prodigal son and think of the father as a kind of cipher for God. Yeah. And in some ways, the, the Lucan context in Chapter 15 gives us um, a ground for doing does, that. yeah. Because the other two stories, the um, uh, the especially yeah. the parable of the... Um, uh, the lost sheep uh, is, is a little godlike. A little yeah. godlike. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I've often uh, asked people when uh, I'm teaching this uh, this parable mm-hmm. to think about uh, what we've seen in some other cases. Insert yourself in a parable in a, a way different from what you have usually yeah, done. Absolutely. And think of uh, the father not as a, a cipher for God, but as a cipher for you. Yeah. And think think of uh, yourself being confronted with um, a really difficult choice. It nice. could be a personal choice. Uh, of alienating someone you yeah, love, nice. um, or it could be another cost of discipleship yeah, story, yeah, because nice. I think um, the Father, in some ways, is being called to the compassion that Luke is preaching nice. all the way through, and it's going to cost him.
2: Nice. That'll preach, yeah. and I'll preach it. Well, all use it. Feel free to use <laughs> it. Um, no, it, it's, it's the best illustration of the uh, claim I come to time and time again, which is that the parables are not unifaceted, they're multifaceted, and one of the best ways to get the different angles on it is to, is to put yourself in different places. Just a really quick aside, one of the three or four sermons that I preached that I got in great trouble over, and I think this is a sign of the weakness of my preaching. If you're preaching right, you should probably be in trouble most of the time. Um, but I, I tried what I still think was a fairly clever trick, which is I made them all female. I made the mother an invalid mother, the elder brother, that member of the family who stays at home. And the younger, the, the younger sister was the one who wanted out and lived the high life and came back. And the mother, at the, at, the, at the danger of neglecting the elder sister, runs out to welcome the one who was pretty much neglected her. Everybody got mad. Mm-hmm. Everybody got mad at the mother when you changed the gender. Because the family dynamic came clearer, I think, than it kind of allegorized God thing we've done all the time. Um, I think one does have to think hard about it.
1: Interesting. You know, we've already alluded to the possibility that there's a kind of um, salvation historical reading Indeed. of this story too. Uh, and then again, that's something that uh, we're invited to, um, to do because of the, the Lucan context here in chapter 15. Jesus in confrontation with the, the scribes yeah. and the Pharisees, yeah. or the tax collectors and sinners uh, coming near him, yeah. and the Pharisees and and scribes grumbling, right? Yeah. So we have that uh, that tension. The, set the up grumbling
2: there. becomes almost like the elder brother sitting out that's there. Right. Saying, that's right. That's right. So, so we're you're
1: invited by Luke home. to see the yeah. uh, the opposition to this gospel of compassion in the form of uh, of the Jewish yeah, leadership, yeah. and that then ties into the theme that would will run through Acts of so the. Um, uh, the rejection of the Christian yeah. message by Jewish leadership yeah. and the open-endedness of Acts. Uh, Paul preaching in Rome, um, the Jews, uh, the Jewish leadership of Rome listening to him respectfully. Yeah. Are they uh, yeah. going to come in or are they not? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think the same open-endedness yeah. is there in Acts as we have in this What, what will you
2: do? How will you come in? Yeah. Uh, the other thing that strikes me um, is that we now follow this with another parable, which if, if this is the most beloved, I'd say the next one is the most befuddling parable mm. um, in all the gospels in some ways about the steward and and uh, the steward does the same thing that the younger brother does that he that is he's, he squanders things and it's exactly the same Greek word that the younger son squanders his inheritance and the steward squanders the, the, the responsibility his master's given him and I, it just seems this strikes me, just so the audience will remember what what goes on here, that that having essentially begun to cheat his master, he then apparently cheats his master again by writing down the debts that are owed, and when the master returns, the master commends him and says, nicely done, fellow. Um, You are cleverer than I, and therefore, I'm not gonna fire you. Very strange Mm -hmm. for a gospel that's concerned with mercy and with economic justice. What's going on, do you think?
1: Gee, I wish I do. Uh, I have some ideas, and okay. I'll share them with you in a minute. But okay. it's clear that Luke is a little baffled by this story, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's just a tad open-ended. Um, it, that is, the master doesn't fire him, but he doesn't say he can stay, That's either. True. That's the ma- true. The master doesn't seem to quite know what to do That's with true. this guy. Uh, he's kind of caught in a bind, yeah. and I'm going to su- suggest why in a minute. Uh, Luke, I think, is a little baffled by what this, uh, what this story is all about. It's not quite a reversal story. It's not quite a compassion story. Not, certainly not an
2: example story.
1: Not an example yeah. story in the way in which the prodigal son yeah. can be taken yeah. at one level.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, it is a story about money and its appropriate use. Yeah. And so Luke, after uh, the story is told in Luke 16:9, uh, gives us a bunch of sayings, all of which have to do with uh, appropriate use of wealth, one of his major concerns.
0: Yeah.
1: And, um, you know, at the heart of that is... Uh, uh, the concluding one, you cannot serve God and mammon, or God and wealth, right? So that's an important element of Luke. But that's not exactly what the story right. says. Right. So Luke is, is, is really struggling to find some meaning in this story. Uh, I think the, um, the dynamics of the story uh, hinge upon what they, um, the steward is doing. And sometimes he's called the dishonest steward yeah. or manager, sometimes the shrewd or right. prudent steward or manager. Yeah. And uh, exactly uh, how he is shrewd is, I think, um, uh, the crucial issue here. Uh, what he does is uh, make a, a path for himself with the um, the folk who have debts to the the master, right. and he cooks the books in some way or other. Right. And the question is, why doesn't the master haul him to the yeah. the clink for cooking the books exactly. again? Yeah, exactly. Uh, one interesting solution um, that a, a scholar in the UK uh, proposed was that what the what the steward is doing is work to rule. That is, he's cutting down uh, the interest that would be owed to the master, right. out of which his own profits would come. Yeah, and so. There's no skin off the master's nose because he's giving up his own profits, and at the same time he's abiding by the letter of Torah, uh-huh. where you can't take it. So yeah. the master
2: can't do anything yeah, against because him because he's being so faithful That's in right. a sneaky way. That's
1: right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's an interesting solution. Yeah, to it why interesting. it is the master can only say, "Good job, guy. Yeah, you yeah. got me." Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: Uh, but it's interesting to think about that as a story that Jesus would tell. Um, that it, you might be able to um, abide by everything that I'm telling you and at the same time abide by Torah in a radically
2: different way. Yeah.
1: So it's analogous in some ways to what Matthew does in the Sermon on the Mount, I've told you
2: that, but, but a, you do, do, do even more, do something yep. differently. Yeah. I, my old line on it, which I discovered in getting ready for our conversation today is, is an old familiar one, much discarded by all the people we read, um, is that this is one of those kind of stories where Jesus says, just as this man was ready before the crisis, so you need to be ready before the crisis of God's kingdom. I still think back in the ministry of Jesus, there may be something to that. I don't think Luke reads it that way. Mm. I think it's some kind of interesting. As you point out, Luke is a little bit like those preachers uh, who can't quite figure out where to end a sermon or the political speech writer where you think, wonderful place to stop, sit down, be quiet. And here's another thought, and here's another thought. Mm -hmm. Uh, Last thing on on our conversation today, help, help me a little bit think about when we're, when we are reading and interpreting these parables, uh, both the prodigal son and this one, uh, we've made a kind of interesting move between what we pretty sure Luke is doing with this, however confusedly, and what we think the parable may have been like before Luke got a hold of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you, as an interpreter mm-hmm. of scripture, play those off against each other? Is it our job to read the way Luke read it or to say, okay, in some earlier version, this was even more interesting for the following reason.
1: Yeah. Well, in some cases, we're uh, forced to speculate mm-hmm. on that, I think, by the the fact that we have uh, different versions right. of the parables in different Gospels. Right. That helps. And we have an example, for instance, in the parable of the lost sheep, yeah. which Matthew takes as um, uh, a, a parable, an example story for caring right. for the the, littlest, the, lost, uh, the little folk in the, in the congregation, yeah. Yeah. whereas Luke takes it as an example story for repentance and yeah. forgiveness, yeah. Uh, explicitly in Luke uh, 15, 7. Yeah. Um, so in some cases, we're kind of forced to think Fair about enough. the difference between the gospel context and what might have been in the, the uh-huh. source material. I think here, in the case of Luke 16, we're forced in that direction by the discrepancy between the, the logic of the yeah. story, which yeah. is a little opaque to us, yeah. and all of these morals all of those answers on, are wrong. Whatever, right.
2: the, whatever those are, that right. can be it. Yeah. So
1: my, my hunch is that we have here are a really interesting story that Jesus himself told, yeah. And Luke didn't quite know what to yeah. make of it. And so uh, that liberates us a little bit to, to, to play with it. I like that. And we've, we've already seen how playing with these stories, which I think we're invited to do as interpreters of the, uh, the scripture, uh, can yield new meaning. And I think we have the, uh, the option to do that here too, whether or not we get back to the uh, authentic Who messages. knows,
2: but, but there are real possibilities That's that the right. story provides. Mm-hmm. Thanks.
0: Yale University, in collaboration with the Tony Blair Faith Foundation, has created the Faith and Globalization Initiative, which examines the profound impact of religious faith in a world where political, economic, and social spheres are increasingly interconnected. These crucial issues of faith and globalization can hopefully, through open discussion and reflection, lead to the kind of reconciliation and peaceful coexistence that life in the 21st century demands.